Hello, Michael here with a quick disclaimer. The episode that you are about to listen to was originally recorded as a live event, meaning that it was recorded and streamed over our Twitch channel, which is twitch.tv slash the RPG Academy, or broadcast as a live event or recorded as a live event for our YouTube page, which is youtube.com slash the RPG Academy. Hopefully you will understand why the audio quality of this episode is not quite up to the same standards you have come to appreciate and expect from our show. And on the off chance that when you listen to this episode, you don't really notice a difference between this episode and a regular episode, don't say anything, because that will make me cry. Thanks, and enjoy the show. Welcome, everybody. This is going to be a special bonus episode of the RPG Academy, where we're going to be taking some time. Myself, Tom, faculty member for the RPG Academy, and then we are blessed to be joined by one of our fellow network members. Caleb, introduce yourself real quick for the people who don't know you. Hello, I am Kalum from London, uh, like Federico. Uh, I am the host of... Sorry, I'm the proud father of this little fellow. Oh man, this bonus, <laughs> bonus points. And I'm the host of the proudly London-based Rollies podcast, uh, which is dedicated to tabletop RPG fans across the channel, the pond, and beyond. Very cool. Um, we're glad to have you with us. And then our guest of honor today. Federico, the designer of Nibiru RPG. And am I pronouncing that right? Yeah, Nibiru. I mean, Nibiru. It's, it's, it's one Nibiru. Of things there that, you like... go. I really do. I got to say, I, I told you, I saw this system about a year and a half ago. Uh, I fell in love with just the art. It was absolutely fantastic. It sucked me in. And then when Caleb said, hey, I know this guy. Do you want to talk with him? I was like, I have to. So you know what? Real quick. Introduce yourself for the people. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm Federico Sanz. I'm Argentinian born and I've been uh, in London for about three years uh, so far now. Uh, I work at the RPG department of Medifius as an assistant line manager and I've been working on Nibiru probably for almost my entire stay uh, yeah. in London. It's been a while, right? Mm-hmm. That's amazing. That's 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 incredible. We have a real life Modifius professional with us here today. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Fantastic. Real. The real deal. So the real and they're all in London. <laughs> they are. So let's go ahead and and then Caleb. Caleb, feel free to jump in whenever. I sent you those. We're just gonna kind of go back and forth. We we're all a bunch of RPG nerds just having a conversation. That's the way I like to look at things. So, but uh, Federico, and if, if if there's anyone on Twitch, they should. Send us their questions. Oh, absolutely. I should have said something. Yeah. Anybody watching us, shoot us those questions for Federico and we'll make him answer them. Right? <laughs> yeah. All right. He'll try. All right. So how did you wind up in this wonderful, weird world of tabletop RPGs? Put us in the time machine. Take us back. Tell us how this journey started. Uh, okay. So uh, it started when I was about 15 years old. And uh, then um, a friend of mine uh, called Dan, uh, we kind of started delving into Warhammer Fantasy roleplay. 
we had this very uh, wacky campaign in which I was a GM and I also had the uh, one character for myself and he had a character and uh, we just like just rolled with the punches and and, and did a, a strange story and from the get-go uh, I think that we we did have this thing for like tweaking stuff and 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 design our own stuff because we started to come up with ideas of how me mechanics would reflect uh, the fact that we were brothers so maybe one would be at risk at some point and that would prompt like an emotional response from the other and they would basically that would basically translate into some sort of like mechanical effect or something of the sort so playing uh, with your brother uh, no, playing with a friend, friend. Uh, but the idea it was that like our characters in oh, the first campaign where we were play were brothers. Okay, I got you. That sort of thing. Uh, and then uh, nothing happened for uh, a while, for about like five years. And um, when I was at my first job, uh, which was at Hewlett Packard, also back home, um, a friend uh, called Nico uh, basically asked me if I wanted to join into uh, his World of Darkness campaign. And I had no idea what World of Darkness was. But I bet you found out very quickly what World of Darkness <laughs> was. I, I very quickly found out about World of Darkness. Uh, that was new World of Darkness, by the way, not the old World of Darkness. Um, gotcha. And I got hooked. And uh, most of like my, my second big group of friends came from that uh, that session like, the first session um, and from then on I never stopped uh, playing role-playing games that's uh, that's cool I do like the fact that your first role-playing game was Warhammer fantasy was it yeah. first all right I gotta ask was it first edition it was first edition oh man yeah. that's the one where you get to like r make a random roll for bed rolls it's famous yeah. man i love that that's incredible but so now we went from the we went from warhammer fantasy first edition all right mm -hmm. now you're designing games where did that kind of like and you said that you started playing games when you're working um with a with a friend at work you started playing games but then take us from playing games to becoming a designer because i think that's a question that so many people have and it gets asked all the time on all the different interview podcasts but i want to hear it from you like how'd you get from that point let's say point b to c okay uh so well i think it's like one of those things that everyone has some sort of creative drive mm -hmm. right uh and it tends to be that whatever it is that you get your creative outlet or whatever it is that you um basically have your media uh stuff kind of like like growing i don't know if it's a if it's a tv show or if it's games etc um when you have to actually uh have that like creative input or, or or put something of yourself out there in the world you tend to go to uh whichever uh medium it is that you uh, frequent and uh, at some point, uh, when when I when I went to London, because basically I I came to London uh, because I wanted to be an actor, right? Uh, it was something that just piqued my interest uh, in in during the last kind of like year or so of me being in Argentina. Uh, so I basically quit uh, university and I moved here, and uh, that kind of didn't work out. 
it turns out. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, let me try to. I'm not going to be an actor. I'm going to be an RPG designer. Yeah. Okay, all right. Yeah, I'm following exactly. you. You'd be surprised. I mean, uh, we had uh, the people of set of uh, Ms. Arcana visiting us recently. Yeah, uh, true. Mm-hmm. There's yeah, a lot of true. script writers and actors who make it in tabletop RPG. I, I guess yeah, so. It it kind but of it's... like you think about it. it it, it's a different type of creativity, I think, that that goes into it. Yeah. Uh, there's there's a much more like emotional uh, connect and, and, and physical connect with, with acting. Of course, it's it's nothing like doing world building or or, or game design. And I think that uh, it was a matter of maybe uh, at some point. I remember I looked at my suitcase and I realized that half of my suitcase was full of like World of Darkness books. So I'm like, what am I doing here? <laughs> um, and and yeah, I, and I started to to write this game uh, in like a tiny London cafe in Canary Wharf. So, uh, so my next question, as the London-based uh, RPG Academy Network faculty member, oh, from this point, do you enter the welcoming industry landscape of tabletop RPG in London? <laughs> What do you mean? Uh, I mean, you, you're there, you're considering writing for tabletop RPG. Mm-hmm. What is your first step uh, oh, right. in the industry? Okay, uh, well, the first step in the industry uh, was, because then again, it's, 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 it's all about like uh, contacts and networking and, and basically, and, and this is kind of important, uh, seeking a lot of feedback. Uh, I think that a lot of people that, let's say, make it in a way, um, they, they don't hold their idea to themselves. Because uh, there's so many people that are like, I've been designing these games for like 10 years. And, and of course, you, you go and, and ask, okay, so when is it out? Uh, and, and what's it about? And, and what's happening with yep. it? Um, yep. and, and that's the thing. Um, the, the thing is, once, once the idea kind of settled in, uh, the first thing I did was to see f- feedback, to play it with my friends at work. Uh, the first campaign happened at the uh, RP Haven, which is a massive uh, club here in the UK uh, that has grown a lot uh, since, well, uh, since it started to kind of like branch out. Um, that first campaign of Nibiru that we ran at the Stratford RP Haven kind of like uh, began the whole process of development of the game and uh, a lot of people were very happy with it and since then I think the RP Haven has been running off and on at Nibiru campaigns almost constantly. Gotcha. Yeah. So mm-hmm. now, now we've we've said it and so now we've got to talk about it. All right can you for those who don't know what what is the elevator pitch for Nibiru? Ah that's simple it's a yes. science fiction game of lost memories. Okay. Uh, perfect. Mm-hmm. It's a, I, I, this is the perfect elevator pitch. I hate it when I ask somebody an elevator pitch. They, they go on and on and on. It's, yeah. it's short, sweet. Tell me, hook me. Okay, so you say the, a science fiction game of lost memories. So mm-hmm. that's kind of what drew me in to, to the game, just because it was different. So can yeah. you explain to explain a little bit explain the world because I think that's how so often people get hooked into these different yeah. systems. It's so often, it's not the mechanics, mm-hmm. it's the world. 
So, so it's the science fiction part yeah. that you want me to start doing. Yes. Okay, cool. So uh, Nibiru is uh, a space station uh, that orbits the star of Pommelhot. It's uh, basically a solar system uh, not very far away from our solar neighborhood. Um, it's, it's a very particular solar system because it's basically just swarming with debris. Um, it's probably a star that it's still quite young, as far as I can remember. Uh, and so this space station takes uh, debris and feeds itself with it. Now, the purpose of it is, is kind of unknown, but what we, we do know is what happens inside. Uh, inside, it just so happens that there is a group of people uh, that have been living for a while and that have formed a civilization. And it's uh, in, in the confines of this civilization that action happens. Nothing happens in this game outside of the station. Uh, if there's something outside of the station, the people there don't know. Uh, there's uh, very just like well justified and, and well based reasons why this is that way. Uh, but that's kind of the gist of it. Uh, and of course, it uh, it kind of puts out there. Uh, specific considerations with regards to uh, the worldview of people that are basically living there, their mythology, the way they interact with the world, and, and all kinds of things uh, that is really fun to kind of like toy around in school. It's a, I like the idea of a self contained yeah. system. It just, I, I know personally in different campaigns I've run, those have always been what I think the best. It, it kind of, it's, it, it because it doesn't put you on rails, but it still it gives you kind of guidelines and walls to kind of play mm -hmm. within. And so, one of the things I wanted to ask you about was um, Nibiru. It looks from the art, all right, and we'll talk about the art because it's it's like top notch, fantastic. The but the whole is it looking at the art. It seems like there's it's it's dark. Is so? Would you call this? dark or science fiction there it seems to be almost a it's it's a unique world and i don't want to call it grim dark because i think that's different oh, I, it, it's, it's not it's not at all this looks like a very colorful a vibrant world but there's just something sinister about it yes i i think that uh it's it's a bit uncanny and it's a bit otherworldly um and those traits uh, can certainly be interpreted as frightening uh, and I, I think that the game uh, we we did a we did a, um, a short kind of like adventure with guys at the uh, Red Moon Role Playing uh, podcast, uh, which is certainly horror uh, based. Yeah, uh, those guys. But then it's yeah, yeah it's it, it's a it's a horror that is not Machiavellic or it's not like uh, it, it has some like themes of cruelty, but it's not particularly about evil, mm -hmm. uh, not at all. Um, so I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't call it grimdark for sure. No. It has some dark themes because of the atmosphere of the station that okay. for, from our perspective can be perceived as dark. Okay. It, in a way, it reminds me of a, a series I especially enjoyed written by uh, some, uh, the old sci-fi called uh, The Cycle of the Berserkers uh, by a gentleman called uh, Saberagon where you had machines which would consume everything in front of them. So, yeah, it would remind you the the Borg more recently. But I guess that's the most evil thing I would expect to find in Nibiru, the sort of things which are... They're, they're not 
evil per se. They just they will consume human beings uh, as they go along. Yeah, no, definitely. Because uh, at the end of it, you, you can't call uh, something that's part of the, the natural order uh, evil just because of it consuming human beings or something yeah. like that. Uh, we have, we do have like scary stuff, but generally it's scary because it's part of nature mm -hmm. and nature is, uh, well, you know, uh, kind of uncaring. Uh, and, uh, especially... I especially enjoyed the, the art you published uh, at the beginning of uh, your campaign, uh, which showed a, a creature which is like a, I don't know, some kind of arachnids. But it's spent time, we already talked about that. Uh, they spend time in a, in a lake or something and they, they grab human beings and they feed on them sort of like in a metric style. But yeah. the, the resulting uh, hybrid is, uh, is uh, reminiscent of mermaids. Yeah, and it's called a, it's called a mermaid. Uh, yeah, that, that was a, a bit of a, like a, a dark twist on, on the mermaid's tail. But then again, that creature is inspired by a, an actual living organism. There, there, is a, there is a sort of like, um, uh, I think it's a, it, it's a parasite that uh, does this thing that basically just uh, kind of molds itself with uh, a host's um, kind of like nervous system and, uh, and uh, makes it so that the host will tend to walk towards a body of water uh, and then the parasite kind of frees itself and, uh, from the body of the, of the host and lays eggs or something like that. So that's stuff that actually exists on a much smaller scale. Yeah, you just blew everything up. Mm -hmm. nice. You told me in the past that what you really wanted with Nibiru, you told that there were a lot of science fiction role-playing games, but they they tend to go towards the, the pulp, the lasers, the fights, the action. Yeah, the space and, and you are more into uh, hard sci-fi, which yeah. is something you can definitely tell in, in Nibiru. So. Uh, how did that translate in Nibiru? And, and you told me also of a few authors who inspired you. Yes, uh, most certainly, uh, basically, you have Alfred Bester, uh, writer of uh, The Stars My Destination. You have Arthur C. Clarke from like 2001, uh, Run Who with Rama. Uh, you have Isaac Asimov, of course, of Foundation fame. Yeah. Uh, uh, more like uh, later authors like uh, James S.A. Corey with the Expanse series, okay. which is, uh, is space opera, but it has. Uh, some pretty big kind of like uh, amalgam with like uh, hard sci-fi. Uh, yeah, basically that. Th those are my, my influences. And there's influences, of course, from uh, manga and anime because you have basically, well, uh, for example, Tsutomuni Hei's uh, uh, Buram, uh, which is actually now uh, in an animated form in Netflix, is probably the closest... Uh, resembling setting to to Nibiru. What was that uh, one more time? Uh that's uh Buram. Uh it, it's it's spelled blame uh with like an exclamation point. Oh, okay. Okay, very cool cuz I've been kind of I've been crushing some Netflix anime lately and so I'm going to have to add that one to the queue. Yeah, uh, but the landscape in in that in that setting is is it's very it, very much alike Nibiru. It's funny that you mentioned the expanse because I couldn't I I for real got like like vibes of like the belt so often when i was looking at some of the art which was very yeah. which is very cool um so 
now that we've kind of talked about the setting, go ahead and tell us a little bit about the actual mechanics because I absolutely, I'm not going to spoil it for you, but I absolutely love this this core mechanic that you've come up with. Okay. Uh, well, like most role-playing games, you have a task resolution system. So it's a, it's a basic system to resolve conflict. Uh, that is done uh, using uh, D4s and the basis of it is that you roll three d4s uh, and uh, if you get a four in one of the dice you're successful if not you fail um, contested rolls uh, basically they they work the same so three against three or something like that you roll but instead of looking for the force you add up uh, the results and you compare so if I roll 3d4 and I get a six my opponent rolls and gets a seven I lose that contest uh, so that's as basic as it gets. The reason why it gets as basic as it gets with that is that I wanted to mainly focus on the memory mechanic, uh, the memo system, uh, which is the bread and butter of the game. Which is, yes, this is, this is cool. Tell us about so it. So the idea, the idea is that uh, each of your, basically your character has a sheet called a journal sheet. Uh, each journal sheet has eight memory entries and the idea is that each of these memory entries provides you with a bit of background of your character for you to fill uh, and a mechanical bit that is tied to it. Uh, your character has a pool of points called memory points, which represent the potential for you to remember something. And whenever you're going to roll, you can choose to spend those memory points to create a memory. Uh, essentially, it works like muscle memory. Uh, it's like you're doing something and this motor function uh, of yours basically uh, springs that memory back to the surface and you get to write. So the classical example would be, uh, I am at a boardroom and I'm basically trying to convince this person to like maybe accept my project or something like that. Uh, the GM asks me to roll uh, and I spend those memory points, I choose to spend those. And I write the memory saying that back in my previous life, I used to be a, I don't know, uh, a vendor or some sort of merchant. Uh, and I remember this one sale that I was doing to this guy. And this guy looked exactly like the guy I'm facing right now. So there's my association. I write that down in that uh, kind of like, I remember uh, bit. And right below in the effect uh, piece of the memory entry, I write plus one to salesmanship. Or something like that. Uh, whatever you and the and the GM thinks it's the most appropriate, uh, uh, and that's the basis of it. I must say the the system with me really hit a sweet spot because I started role playing games in the late '90s, and it was really aimed at a resolution system, re, re, resolving actions, etc., and not so much about driving the narration. But I, I am interested in other styles of game. I'm interested in things like uh, Fate Core, etc. I haven't played those that much. But while I'm interested, at the same time, I'm sometimes struggling a bit with them because that's not what I, I've been doing most of my life. But Nibiru, it's kind of a meeting point between the two. And I, I just fell in love in the with the system. And to be honest, I didn't read that much about the setting because I'm keeping myself to play it and discover as a player uh, everything which is happening uh, in that world. But uh, I really loved, uh, we were talking with Tom that how we like to, to use flashbacks. And in my case, even uh, the idea of amnesia in, in games like Nephilim, 
but having this mechanical element which is very straightforward and simple and you build your character as you go because it could be good or bad memories so you you find out about your advantages and disadvantages if i was comparing that to legend of the five rings yeah. mm-hmm. as you go along i find it really fascinating and very easy to ad- adopt at the same time yeah it is it is very easy and the thing that it has that i i kind of wanted to to avoid I, I wanted to avoid for example uh many games have brilliant ideas uh about how to like bring the the themes or, or the the narrative to to life but they they stay at a point in which they they don't build upon it so my idea was that i'm going to have a very simple task resolution system and my memo system the one about the memories i'm going to build everything on top of that mm-hmm. so the 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 basic point of it is that yeah you, you spend the, the the memory points to make a memory now if i were to give uh, uh more of like a multidimensional uh, uh kind of playing ground with that is i'm going to tell you well you can spend more than the basic amount of memory points to make that memory more significant so if you're spending 3 points instead of 2 if you're spending 5 points instead of 3 uh it means that that memory is more important to you and it entails that you're going to get a bigger bonus uh when you write that effect yeah. uh you will be able to uh not just determine your strengths but your weaknesses when you're rolling for something the uh, and this is the most straightforward and most effective way of gaining memory points you can choose to to fail that roll and get a permanent penalty you write uh the kind of background piece that tells you why you're not good at that at, at selling whatever it is that yeah. you so and you get memory points in return i i absolutely yeah i love the whole the, the negative approach to it because it's it's who you are as a yeah. character and so you it kind of makes sense from the standpoint that you always have this this penalty so because what like Caleb was saying one of the one of the things that i'm not sure how many other people love to do it in my games with my players we are always always doing flashback scenes just to do them because we like doing them it's what we do and now we've got this 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 mechanic that allows us to basically create our skills based on doing flashback scenes. So I'm just envisioning playing this with my group of players right now and they are just yeah. we're just going to have it's it's going to be like 3 hours of just flashback scenes that just for this the tiniest skill but then yeah. so that's what I really enjoy about it. There's this really striking piece of art in the book or it was the, I think it was maybe in, in the quick start guide Yeah. That shows this guy with this like I don't know he's some piece of metal or a weapon and he's like wearing like tactical gear and he's hitting something with it but then in the background almost like a washed out image you see a similar person same pose with a baseball bat hitting a baseball. And I want to talk about that because one of the things I was thinking about is you say past lives. So in the sense that how does that because it's not necessarily your rem- are you remembering something from your character's past or is it a previous past uh it's it's more of a previous past and but it depends on the on the archetype so okay. uh, nibru has such a thing as archetypes uh, which you've seen like in in many games uh, the the uh, profession based archetypes the class based archetypes now uh in nibru the archetype is is just it's called a habitat but more than being a place 
is a set of guidelines or framework uh, within which you based your memories, the memories that you write. Uh, so the, the most straightforward one, uh, and there's five, um, it's Bright Town, which is just a countryside village. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's, it's super relatable. It's easy to write in. If you have uh, several people at the table, you can all come up with ideas of how this uh, village functioned, what were your relationships within that, and then you write about it. But then you start to get, with, with the rest of the, of the habits, you, you progressively start to get more outlandish, and it, and it, it gets weirder. Because, for example, you have the wild, in which your memories are the memories of a creature. Uh, oh. One of the creatures that you can see in, in our bestiary. So okay. uh, your memories are going to be about uh, roaming around and interacting with other members of the species and what happens to the pack and what happens in this creature like in an urban landscape or in the waters of like a reservoir in the Umbra uh, and stuff like that. Um, you have a habitat that's uh, the dreamlands, which uh, you remember stuff uh, that's, that's from other people's lives. So whenever you come to in contact with like an NPC, uh, you can uh, basically uh, check to see if there's a link to this person. And there is, you determine how significant it is, which tells you how many memories you can write with that. Okay. Memories will be about those, uh, those people. So you can uh, use the memo system in different ways then. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, That's one, one aspect that um, I didn't realize and, just, I can definitely see it like those more outlandish things being some very, very interesting role play scenarios. Very good. Yeah, I mean, you immediately, you, you should put a spoiler alert when you tell that story. You, you already told it to me. And I was like, oh, that's so great. And at the same time, I, was like, mm, I wish I found that out in game. But as a, as a game master, immediately, or even as a player, you think that your character, you could develop your character. And at some point, maybe this character finds out that it's not his memories, but somebody else. He, yes. he no, and yeah, there's so many twists and ideas you can come up with. I, I think there's a lot of shows actually nowadays playing with this idea of flashback, and maybe not exactly fake memory, but uh, you rediscover events, and suddenly the point of view changes, and the nature of the event changes. Well, you could do that with the development of your character, I think. Yeah, totally. Uh, and it, 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 because each uh, habitat is, is very malleable in, in how they are, you can come up with really, really wacky stuff. Like, for example, the, um, the, the Dreamlands, this idea of remembering stuff from other people. Um, there was a particular adventure that we played uh, that was centered about a, a Dreamlander that they had a pattern uh, with regards to the people that they were linked with. And it just so happened that the pattern was they remembered everything uh, about the lives of uh, the members of a ruling council. So basically, being in contact with this person or, or having access to their memories and the remembrance would uh, entail that you would get to know the secrets of a ruling council of a town. And that could be very dangerous. Uh, so. It, it does open up like lots of different avenues for like creative storytelling and, and building adventures. Uh, the whole idea of, of going around with memories. Uh, that's definitely something we want to explore. I, 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 the, I was, oh, go ahead. I was trying to remember where uh, I, I took plays with memories. 
of course, one famous one would be Total Recall. So you could sell memories, maybe, mm-hmm. of some kind, uh, if you want. And uh, more recently, spoiler alert, uh, in Attack on Titans, there was a play on this concept and the idea of a, a character always surviving and coming back to some fashion because his memory keeps being inherited by a line of people. So each mm-hmm. time you've got people who are like, ah, I'm going to have the power now and I'm going to change everything. And the part of acquiring the power is acquiring the memory of that predecessor. And each time, generation after generation, when they acquire the power and the memory of the predecessor, they're like, hmm, yeah, actually, uh, I understand with the memory of this guy. So I'm going to follow the plan as I'm going to, I'm not going to be rebellious anymore. Mm-hmm. Where did the, where did the idea of this system come to you from? Like, is it just something you wanted to do? Or is there like this divine intervention that you had? We're like, ah, I have it. Uh, no, I, I, I did want to, to toy around with the, the concept of uh, background that uh, that interacts with the mechanics, like okay. a justification of, of, of your mechanics. Uh, of course, then I didn't want it to be just justification. Of them, I wanted to build upon it. But for example, uh, one of the things I remember doing was um, uh, in one of my uh, like when I was in Argentina, we we're playing this Will of Darkness game, and it just so happened that one of my friends um, uh, did this really strange thing about like well, strange uh, a way in which he spent experience points was to record. Uh, which uh, skills, which attributes he used across the section. So he would tick each one. Mm-hmm. And uh, the ones that he used the most, those are the ones that he would invest uh, experience points on. So uh, that, that idea of, of, of like kind of like fleshing out uh, your, uh, giving some logic to the things that you're uh, fleshing out mechanically about your character uh, was, was kind of the center point. Yeah. I think that's that's probably it. You mentioned previously, uh, I believe it's a game from Argentina called In Memoriam. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, In Memoriam uh, basically had some sort of like uh, system in which you um, build some uh, so, some memories. I, I don't exactly remember how it worked, uh, but it did uh, give you like a small chart of memories you could uh, have and a sort of like justification about them. I learned about In Memoriam later on because uh, I, I actually didn't play it. But there's several games uh, like that one and like Nibiru that have played with this uh, kind of like concept. Uh, Penny for your, uh, for your Thoughts or something like that, I think it was called, also does this sort of thing. Uh, but they do it to a certain extent. Uh, they they don't base the entire premise and, and, and the entire mechanical kind of like structure of your game on uh, recovering memories. Uh, that that's that's kind of the, the the objective with Nibiru to kind of yeah. like produce a AAA game that's that's based around this whole system. And there's more to that, which I can go into. It. No, no, you're you're good. I mean, it's and it really is. It's just something that I saw. This is like I said a year and a half ago. And I was like. This is pretty sweet. It's just something different that I haven't seen before, which is I, I'm super excited to get it to the table. And one of the other things I'm really excited about, and I want to let everybody know, is that if you have no intention of playing this game, you should just go get the book, 
just for the art. All right. I was talking to Caleb a little bit before we started that there's just this grow. I see this growing trend of just games coming out of Europe, like being from the U.S. That these European games coming out, the art is just at a different level. You've, I mean, you're talking about the guys like from from Burning Games and then Modifius and then all of a sudden then your game Nibiru, and it's just like so. Tell us a little bit about the art. Okay. Uh, so. To me, for example, the uh, what really struck me about uh, art and role-playing games was uh, a Swedish game, uh, Simberum. You you might know it. Mm-hmm. It's it's from Team Charingan, who's just basically been merged into uh, Free Aligan, uh, Free League. Uh, so uh, those guys uh, really hit the nail on the on the, on the head uh, with that thing. It, it's it's also. A big part of, of, of why art is important, I think, in some of these games is when things really get outlandish, you really need to give a clear and an evocative image of what your setting is. Um, you're, you're asking your readers to, to imagine something that is not generally in their, in their uh, you know, uh, yeah. scope. So, so having that, uh, that really well fleshed out in the art, I think it was, it was really important. Because I, I wanted my players to be able to, to picture themselves in the setting. And yeah, that's, that's, that's a hell of a task. Uh, and it's important to have good art. Yeah, no, when you have this, like, these, this strange science fiction set and I, you hit the nail right on the head, I'm, to you, that art, it gives me that image for nobody's ever, I've never seen like a, the setting of Nibiru or anything close to that. It's just, it's so outlandish. And so to have that, this, this great art, it was just, it's awesome. Who's your, who's your artist on this? So there's several people yeah. uh, working on it, uh, which uh, it, go, it goes a bit about uh, against the, the trend because uh, this, this trend of like really high uh, production values in art uh, from Sweden, uh, actually yeah. revolves around one people working behind the scenes. So for example, Sam and Stalin hack with um, Tales from the Loop. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I, I can't remember the, the artist behind Simbrum, uh, but it's just one uh, guy. Uh, in this case, it was uh, mainly three people that came together for Nibiru's art. Uh, first, it was Alexei Tetyakov, uh, who's a Russian guy that did, uh, well, it, he did the one about memory, the one with the guy with the bat, and did most of the stuff that you guys have seen uh, in the early days uh, at Nibiru. Uh, he's done a little bit of everything uh, for the project. Then you have uh, the lead designer uh, that has done the, like the bulk uh, of uh, the Nibiru art, who's uh, Daniel Liang. Uh, he's from Taiwan. He has done mostly a lot of the environments and the landscape uh, art for the game. And then you have uh, Mahia Rodriguez, uh, who's from the US. She has done, she started doing mostly everything that has to do with uh, the bestiary okay. uh, and the creature design. And now she's moving on to landscapes and particularly uh, illustrations relating to vagabonds and basically uh, inserting the setting. Gotcha. I mean, it it really is. It's great. And then now that we're, I kind of mentioned it. I I should have brought this up right away. You let's talk about the Kickstarter. And also let's talk about the fact that you are now successfully 
funded. People are going to yeah. be getting this game. This so go ahead and get, go to tell us what they can expect from the Kickstarter and what you, what kind of things you've got planned. Just give us the whole rundown. Uh, so they can expect a high quality hardback book, which is the, the main point of the Kickstarter. Uh, they can expect a Kickstarter campaign that is focused around making that book better. Uh, I want uh, it, it's basically a two-way thing uh, with, uh, with how one product Kickstarters uh, work for me, which is you want to keep your delivery times uh, low. You want to uh, reduce the risk of uh, delays by having just one main product instead of promising a series of supplements and, and basic series of products that can delay the whole process. And at the same time, I like the idea that by working mainly on stretch goals based on the book, almost everyone is getting uh, benefited from the, the lowest points. Because, for example, uh, we have stretch goals that uh, add uh, art to the book, maybe, uh, or a specific section about something in particular. So all, from the get-go, from the, the 20 pound pledge that gets you the, the PDF, you're already seeing benefits and returns for your stretch goals. So it entices you to actually go out and promote the game and help reach those. Yeah, I, 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 I like that idea of just getting a better quality core product. It, mm -hmm. it makes sense. I just, think, yeah, I just think with this beautiful art, we need a Game Master screen. Mm, you know what? I, <laughs> that, that's a good idea, Caleb. <laughs> Yeah, that can come, uh, but it can come in due time. And that's the other thing. We, we do have a set of uh, physical rewards. Because, for example, if you check the stretch goals, uh, the third one is uh, dice. Uh, so a set of metal dice, uh, cuneiform uh, dice, because the game does have some sort of like ancient Mesopotamian uh, yeah. uh, influences. Um, uh, but then most of it is about uh, making that core book better. So adding those bookmarks, adding like uh, UV, um, what's it called, embossing uh, to the title of the book, uh, getting a better paper stock, all of that kind of stuff, getting more art uh, into the book. Uh, I think that's the main, uh, the main uh, idea behind stretch goals. The, the other thing about the Kickstarter, which I wanted to talk about, was the you've got the three different levels for the three different settings. Okay, so this is, all right. I, I was trying to think about this and how to say this nicely. This is like one of the the, the meanest things and then like the, like the smartest marketing ploys I've ever seen in my life because it really is, there's okay. not that much, it, it's reading through the different pledges. There's the three different settings and they all seem, it's complete. Like it feels like complete, but all it does is then you have the one where you get all three and just mm -hmm. as a, it makes me want to have more and so so i could get like a complete yeah. thing or i can get everything and it's really just it's more material so go ahead and tell me about that you got three different settings for this yeah uh yeah basically because and that's uh, just delving a bit more on uh, the nature of, of nibiru and uh, and the ideas behind the setting uh so uh nibiru pr produces gravity uh via centrifugal force so artificial gravity Okay. Uh, the further away you go from the core of the station, uh, things change. Uh, the weight of the world becomes stronger on your shoulders. Uh, lights start to uh, go dim. Stuff stop, stops working. 
Uh, and the way in which this works kind of conditions the type of uh, adventures and the types of stories that you tell. So the setting has uh, three main regions. Yeah, regions. Uh, yeah. So you have uh, the Antumbra, and so like concepts related to uh, light and shadow. Uh, so the Antumbra, which is the place that's closer to the core, that's the warmest place, the place that has uh, gravity that's a, a bit below Earth, the Earth's, uh, so 0.8 uh, Gs. And that's where your main like civilization flourished and you have your big uh, kind of like uh, city-states. So your socio-political games will happen there, the, 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 the games that have to do more about the society of, of, of Nibiru's uh, civilizations, etc. Um, and then you have Penumbra. So Penumbra is um, is different from the Antumbra because it's uh, it's actually a place where uh, the station uh, that in Antumbra it, it kind of had a sort of like big uh, life support system, and and it kind of like uh, did the whole upkeep of life. But yeah, you didn't have to. You live in abundance basically in Antumbra. In Penumbra, it's the other way around. Humanity has to adapt to the station, and not mm -hmm. the other way around. So uh, your games that are set, uh, are about adventure and survival happen there uh, in these like sparsely uh, populated colonies that are uh, kind of struggling to find their place as civilization and the, the mindset of humanity adapts to this idea of surviving um, in in a scarcity uh, in a world of scarcity in a way. And then you have uh, the Umbra, which is the place beyond, which is almost entirely consumed by the dark. And, uh, and that's more about mystery. That's more about, uh, it, it does have its kind of like horror themes. Uh, and it's, it's basically about uh, civilization trying to make a stand against not just the darkness, but the fact that the weight of the world is now crushing you. Um, and all of the different mindsets that stem from trying to live in this place. You have those three regions and the three pledges kind of pose the idea that you landed on this particular part of the station yeah. and your adventure is going to kind of shape up to be in this kind of way. Uh, and that's that's more or less the idea of those three pledges that you can choose. They give you like a, a map of the region, an adventure set uh, for you to start your journey uh, within that region. Yeah, I like that. It's like you've got you can run three very distinct then campaigns within this within this world. Um, personally, I think I'm going sorry, for the Umbra. Sorry. I'm going for Umbra. <laughs> that's, that's what I that's where I want to play. Yeah, I want to get weird. All right, <laughs> Caleb, oh, what, were you, what were you gonna say? Well, I like to start with the the middle, and I think that's where we played. So I went for Penumbra. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's uh, what, true. Was it? Am I right? Is it? Yeah, is it yeah. where we played? That that is true. That's where you played. Mm -hmm. so I'm right. trying to I'm trying to post links to my content on the Twitch uh, chat, but it's not available. If people want to check that actual play, which hopefully uh, will be released as a video soon, uh, well, episode 22 of the Rallys Podcast Part Two, recorded at UK Games Expo. Mm -hmm. uh, we ended up on a night uh, under the rain that, that day. There's also a, a cool oh my god, we're so tired. <laughs> it's not I, a convention if you're not playing super late and you're tired. Yeah. All right. Yeah. You, the um. So one of the other things I wanted to talk about is just all right. So 
We're going to talk business here. All right. Mm -hmm. So I'm in the U.S. I'm not over there with all of you amazing people. And so as a U.S., what, as a U.S. backer, uh, it, what, what's the, what's, what is the fulfillment like? So this is international then. Yeah, it is international. We're doing fulfillment uh, via uh, Games Quest. Uh, and we basically done our homework in that regard. I mean, uh, you do have the uh, average shipping costs uh, yeah, for the US. Expected. Uh, so yeah, uh, it's it, it's what it is. But then again, uh, it's uh, it's all a matter of like um, what's it called um, demand. Mm -hmm. uh, we we have great demand in the US, and we're already uh, looking into how many copies we're going to ship. Uh, even after the Kickstarter, okay. because you're, we're expecting to finance a uh, print run that is uh, big enough so that it can actually supply the U.S. market. Uh, U.S. market generally tends to go for at least a thousand copies uh, after like a successful Kickstarter of this of this size, more or less. Uh, so, for example, that is is partly contemplated in the uh, pricing jump from one stretch goal to the other um because we are trying to uh account for an increased demand uh in basically uh the uh, printing quantity that we'll, that we'll okay. do um so you see for example the next uh, stretch goal which i think we probably are going to reach tomorrow is at ten thousand pounds after that is thirteen thousand pounds for the next one uh, and that difference is basically what will make us, uh, well, it will make it possible for us to print, uh, say, 2,000 copies instead of uh, 1,000, or even 3,000 copies instead of 1,000, so we can supply the market afterwards. Okay. But yeah. That's Co correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, I uh, I talk with one of the I believe the people in uh, helping out with the the logistics at GameQuest, and uh, is that right that you, you're going to look especially that your copies arrive to local friendly game shop as well as not big distributors, yeah. that it was very important for your team not to be just available on, uh, I don't know, Amazon or a, a big, big shop, but yeah. also on, on, in the small one, because sometimes I've heard that there's some hiccups with that, uh, with, with games. Yeah, totally. Uh, especially it's, it's really great to see that there's, there's many like local gaming stores uh, that uh, try to help indie publishers. Uh, there's a closer relation, I think, a relationship, I think, uh, between some indie, indie publishers and, and, and kind of like the local gaming stores. For example, in London, um, you have uh, Leisure Games. Uh, Leisure Games is the prime example. They, they always try to stock some indie uh, uh, productions. And because this game is kind of like in that middle range, it's not a triple A uh, like game in the vein of, I don't know, uh, Pathfinder mm -hmm. or d, &D. Uh, but it has high production, uh, high production values and it has an indie feel to it. So it's, uh, the idea is to kind of like make it, make a deal uh, with regards to that. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's all uh, in, in the, in, in preparation uh, at the moment. Yes. Going big. Yeah, <laughs> that's the goal. With the um, there was uh oh, real quick. Sprocketeer says uh, that he he loves the pick of the two kids running in the grass. Oh yes, that's that's Bright Town. Uh, yes, basically. yeah. Mm -hmm. There was the um, 
Oh, and, and I'm blank. I'm blanking. There, I had a, I had a, I had a, I had a, like a, an important question for you. I can't, re I, I can't remember off the top of my head. It's gonna, well, it's gonna I kill me now. One, I can ask one, and you, you, you think about it in the meantime. Yes. I was listening. We had a little throwback Thursday today. I reposted the interview I did with you, uh, which, by the way, you, you came to me uh, at Dragon Meet and asked for an interview, which I thought was great. Yeah. Uh, and um, so it was 2016. And I was wondering how things changed in your projects since two years ago. Um, so particularly with, with Nibiru. Uh, yeah. And, I mean, is there anything you would say to yourself ah, back two years ago? Uh, are things different in your project? Are, are there things you were expecting to do which changed with the game or... The no, I think uh, I think it's 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 one of those like hard things. I'm, I'm not sure if I'm actually. Do I have sound? Yeah. Oh yeah, I think uh, yeah. Uh, Callum had muted uh, his. Um, no, I think it's uh, it, it's 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 all learning process. Uh, the the whole idea of like me going back and 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 saying uh, something to my previous self. I, I think it's. Um, we we always try to make an effort, right? When when tackling uh, some, uh, like these kind of projects for the first time, uh, and uh, I wouldn't have it a, in a different way because at the end of the day, it's 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 all learning, and you you got to do the missteps, you got to make mistakes. Uh, uh, the same it's the same thing with mechanics. I think mechanics are probably uh, one of the easiest to like observe kind of like indicators of, of how you learn to make a game um there's a there's a very particular thing that that kind of exposes that in how i did the uh revelation system so revelations uh that's that's an interesting thing uh, to chat about um do you know how, how i told you that the uh the memo system is not just the memories that that you get and it, it's it's more fleshed out it's more nuanced yeah and it's not just the fact that you get the, the negative memories and that you can spend more uh, points to make something more significant. There's a system that's called Revelations that basically uh, gives you some sort of like trait called a revelation when you finish one of those journal sheets, one of those like eight entry uh, sheets. Um, uh, the idea is that revelations are supposed to give power to the way in which you write memories or, or kind of like uh, make memories interesting in new and exciting ways. So revelation of the poet means that once you acquire it, and uh, whenever you write a memory, if you do it in rhyme, you get a memory point back. Uh, revelation of the storyteller entails that when you write a memory, uh, if you leave the ending of that memory open, you can continue that story. And once you finish that story, you kind of cash in on memory points. And it's all of these, like this host of, uh, kind of traits that change the way you write stuff uh, that at the beginning I had designed to just be like just strange powers uh, that the, the backgrounds that the protagonists of the games have and eventually I realized that I, I, I'd much rather just not go with the conventional powers even if they're, they're unconventional not, not go with like powers per se but just to have every uh, one of these kind of revelation thingies be about memory and uh, and kind of give more value to my core 
memo system that the memory can um, and and that's something that applies to the whole design process uh, the idea that first of all you you'll put your time into things that may not be the the most important or the most uh, essential and as you go along and you get feedback on your project which is again the, the big thing about like asking people for their opinion etc you start to realize what is uh, what is it about your project that really has a lot of value and mm -hmm. that really makes it unique? And uh, as you go, you stop devoting time to things that are more, um, you know, uh, I don't know, kind of accessory. And you start uh, devoting more time to the things that are, that are important. Uh, so art is important. Um, getting, the, getting the core mechanics of the game right uh, is important. And reaching out to people and telling them about uh, your game is important. So uh, that's, that's something that is a process. That's awesome that you kind of tied those things together like that. Mm -hmm. Reaching out, and we've got Sprocket here in the Twitch channel asking a question. Yes. Yeah. So the question is, can memories be shared slash recovered by multiple characters at the same time? Yes, uh, there's, there's many different ways in which something like that can happen. Uh, for example, we have, we have several revelations that can induce memories or, or kind of like uh, put memories onto other people. Uh, the, the habitat that we discussed before, the, the Dreamlanders, have the option of uh, establishing a li link with one of your fellow player characters if they do consent uh, with that. So you can create memories of other people uh, and feed them back. Uh, so there's several ways of you doing that. One of the, the, the probably the most common occurrences of, of this kind of like shared memory are memories uh, related to uh, traumatic experiences. So we do have a, a mental health system because uh, we have basically uh, body health, so the physical health and, and mental health. And certain traumatic experiences marks, mark you in a way in which you'll never forget them. And that affects all of the involved, uh, most, most generally. So uh, that's something that can translate into memory, for example. Cool. That's, I just want to, now I just want to run a group of just all those people who can do that. To be just with this weird hive mind <laughs> group of people running around. <laughs> so before it looks like we're starting to close in on time. So before we do that, though, real qu I would just want to give us Federico. Just give us one more. Where can we find the? Where can we find the Kickstarter? Where can we learn more about um, Nibiru? Where can we mo learn more about you? Where do we find you on these the interwebs? Uh, so you can uh, find me on Twitter. Uh, I'm basically under the handle of uh, Oracana1, uh, which uh, you can type that in, I guess, uh, in, uh, in, in Twitch. Um, you can uh, just search for Nibiru in Facebook, a science fiction uh, game RPG of lost memories. That'll just pop uh, in there. Uh, you can uh, search me personally on my handle on Twitter, which is F. Uh, sons so it's f as in frank s o h and s mm -hmm. uh and aside from that uh just yeah reach out because uh, i love to talk about games and uh, and yeah don't we all 
yeah, yeah, like yeah. I said, just just Google it, people. Just Google it. <laughs> just do yeah. it. And then... uh, go, uh, check, check for the Kickstarter, uh, which well, that's the name of the game. Yeah, and just... if you're in London, come to the Roleplay Heaven, and you you might run yes. into. Do come to the Roleplay Heaven. So where can so the Roleplay Roleplay Heaven in London? Yeah, the the Roleplay Haven, Haven. is uh, is is now at its fourth uh, branch. So we have three branches in uh, London, and we have a branch in uh, Wales. Uh, and it's amazing because part of the proceeds that you pay for, like your your membership or or like your your entry fee to the uh, uh, to the game, uh, goes to charity. And uh, they've done some really exciting stuff. They, they've managed to like, uh, I don't know, like get it like a new, one of those like big uh, machines for hospital, for like Lewisham Hospital. Uh, they've, they've done some really great work for the community. Uh, and, and it's just a, also great quality games. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, it's, it's just Right. Listen, yeah. Listening to Kalem's podcast and then listening to you say that, it just makes me more jealous of your all's RPG community over in London. Like, it just sounds so amazing. I just want to come over there and just play games with you all. Be come awesome. over. That's, that's the whole point of that podcast. I want more tabletop RPG fans to to cross the pond and the channel and join us there, you know. Well, I may be having some work there soon, so I will let you know, all right? It would yeah. be awesome, yeah. It would be. So then, Caleb, roll us. Tell us where we can find you. Thanks for joining us today. Well, thanks for your patience uh, with me uh, and uh, hey. my son, who's got difficulties to sleep tonight. That's okay. I have three myself, so the struggle is real. First time on Twitch for him. Uh, you can find me uh, on uh, Twitter, iTunes, Instagram is quite popular, Facebook. Uh, it's Rollist, uh, the Rollist podcast. Uh, uh, Instagram, Twitter, it's Rollist Pod. So that's R O L I S T E S P O D. So uh, Rollist is uh, French for role player. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we, we might have an actual play soon uh, of, of Nibiru. Uh, to post so that that would be that would be awesome otherwise uh, we've got uh, at least two interviews maybe three with you already Federico somewhere in yeah, there so they are yeah. properly tagged so you can find them um, mm-hmm. in the website and uh, yeah it's quite cool to to hear about the the evolution uh, of the game of the game yeah mm-hmm. very cool and then finally you can find me at Best Car Tom and the RPG Academy at the RPG Academy. Uh, we stream on Twitch whenever we can on Mondays. You can catch Lawful Orderly. And then every other Wednesday, I'm running Waterdeep Dragon Heist with a group of crazy <laughs> players. And Federico, uh, thank you so much um, for joining us. I'm going to go ahead and throw the link for the Kickstarter up in, yeah, the, in the chat. No, it's, it's great. Um, Caleb, thanks for kind of connecting us and Always a pleasure, and thanks, Procatier, for being in there. Yeah, absolutely. It's always great when we get some get some active people. Just add some more to it. So, yeah. Once again, thank you so much. Go check out Nibiru, guys. We'll be. We'll catch you later. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast, the flagship program of the RPG Academy Network. If you enjoy what we do here then please check out therpgacademy.com and visit our site partners for additional entertainment and gaming advice. We do this out of love for the hobby and for you, our fans. 
the podcast and site content will always be free for you to enjoy and utilize. But we do have expenses related to the show. If you'd like to help out in any way, please visit patreon.com slash Academy and check out the rewards we are providing for your monthly pledges. We use all funds that come in to improve the show and give you better content and quality. And if you don't have the coin to spend, don't worry. You can still help us out in many ways. You can subscribe to our show on iTunes and or Stitcher Radio. You can leave us a five-star review. Also, if you clear your cookies and you visit Amazon or the DriveThruRPG site through our portal, we get a small percentage of what you pay, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. Just like any RPG, our site works best with open lines of communication. We love talking with our listeners about everything. Please contact us with any questions, concerns, and comments that you have. We also love to hear feedback and experiences from your own games. You can email us via podcast at therpgacademy.com and reach us on social media, such as Facebook and Google Plus at the RPG Academy. But Twitter is usually the fastest way to reach us. You can find my favorite co-host, the Caleb G, at the Caleb G. And you can find my favorite co-host, Michael, at the RPG Academy. Thanks for listening. And as always, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. <laughs>